Where do you think you're gonna put a tree that big? Bend over and I'll show you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Do Movies Badly, a podcast exploration of my cinematic ignorance. I am your host, Jim Rohner, and despite being an amateur film critic since 2006, I am woefully ignorant of many films, filmmakers, and genres that consensus has deemed important, and thus I have created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. This month, I'm exploring some foreign language Christmas films as recommended by Alonzo Duralde, and in this week's episode, I'll be talking about Yalmari Hollander's 2010 film, Rare Exports. But first, A Christmas Tale. Last week's uh, film... The French film from Arnaud Desplaisson, I realized I had never actually discussed the availability of it, which is something I try to do with every single film and every single episode. So, if you listened last week and you want to check it out again, um, it is available to stream for free if you have a subscription to the Criterion channel or on uh, the service Tubi, that's T-U-B-I, although you have to watch it with ads for free. Otherwise, you can rent and or stream it, or rent and or purchase it, I should say, on Amazon. YouTube, Google Play, and Fandango now. So, back to Rare Exports, which is, of course, why we're all here. Um, Rare Exports is based, I didn't know this until I I started doing research on this film, it's based on actually a few short films of the same name from uh, writer-director Yalmari Hollander. Um, There are two that feature, that that revolve around basically the the three main lead male characters that are uh, the dads that are in this movie. Well, I guess there's two dads, then there's the um, other guy, uh, and they, he, I guess they were so successful and so popular that he eventually turned it into one long um, feature-length film that we have and enjoy today. Um, and I, I, I had seen this film before. If you listened to my introductory episode with Alonzo, you know that I had seen this movie before. But I think at this point it might have been maybe seven or eight years ago. And when I first saw it uh, that long time ago, I, I thought it was entertaining and, uh, you know, but just kind of some... Uh, light material that was just sort of a, a dark twist on our usual kind of Christmas mythology and, and didn't really give it a second thought. And whenever the film was brought up in conversation, I'd say like, yeah, it's cool, it's it's really dark, it's fun, and, and that was sort of it. Uh, you know, it was kind of, a, I, I guess I filed it away as sort of the, sort of the cynics Christmas film. You know, if you are uh, jaded and or just uh, completely disgusted by the the Hallmark Channel and the stuff that Netflix is putting out every single year, you know, the, the, the Christmas Prince kind of stuff, then this was the film for you. This was sort of the anti-Christmas Christmas film in a way. So you could sort of um, cynically indulge in the holiday season, but really there was sort of a, a rebelliousness to it because it's like, well, it's this dark horror film that's really kind of anti-Christmas. And um, I, I don't think that initial thought or that idea does a lot of justice to the film, specifically to the fine line that the, that the film walks between satire and sincerity and never falling too far into one side or the other. Now, if it had fallen too far into the satire part, that wouldn't be a bad thing, but I think it does balance those two things very well and makes it actually kind of a, a finely crafted film uh, that I didn't realize uh, uh, on that first time. So I want to talk about those two parts of it. Um, and, and I want to first start talking about the satire. So let's address that first. Um, the film, what, what I think is, is interesting is it does kind of um, speak to or or explore the, the kind of really inherent darkness of the idea of um, a let's say, an all-powerful being that um, spies on you at all times, um, specifically at night, and punishes you uh, for 
you know, the things that you do wrong. Of course, the Santa Claus mythology, you know, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Um, and, you know, I don't know how you might have been raised, but when I was a kid, it was, of course, the idea that Santa Claus, if you were good, brought you presents. And if you're bad, he brought you coal. Um, and so there, there is kind of this cutesy idea that we've turned into like, oh, he knows, he knows what you're doing at all times. He sees what you're doing all the time. And if you're bad, he's going to punish you for it. So you better watch out, you know, and, and it's a sort of cutesy sort of moral tale. But in this one, it plays really with that idea of how horrific of an idea it is for there to be an all powerful being that sees what you're doing at all times and punishes you for it. Cause in this one, it's, um, the children are kidnapped and they are going to be devoured, literally devoured by this Santa Claus creature. Um, it also is an interesting film on in how it speaks to how mythology changes and warps over time. Um, for instance, uh, let's start with the Santa Claus character, which we all, you know, which we, we kind of all know today as sort of this, uh, jolly old guy with a, the red suit and the white beard who, you know, who slides down the chimney and, and, and loves all children of the world and kind of uh, flies around the world in his sleigh in one night to kind of give everyone presents if they've been good, of course. If they've been bad, as we already established, they get coal. Um, but if you really kind of dig deep into, I, I don't want to say who the Santa Claus character is, because Santa Claus is, spoilers, a fictional character, um, but at least... Some of the characters on whom the Santa Claus character is based, some are real, some are also kind of mythological, and they've sort of combined into this one amalgamated figure of who Santa Claus is. But if you start back to the earliest figure, it is a historical figure um, named St. Nicholas, who is a 4th century uh, Greek Christian bishop from Turkey, who was known for his generosity to the poor, and specifically... Uh, there was one thing in which he he uh, presented three impoverished daughters of a pious Christian with dowry so that they would not become prostitutes. Um, and during the Middle Ages, often on the evening before his birthday, which is December 6th, kids were given uh, gifts in his honor. And I think it was Martin Luther who a few uh, hundred years later would kind of uh, shift the tradition onto uh, the Christmas tide or this idea of, of what ultimately became December the 25th. Um, and so that's a, that's sort of the first historically based character that the myth starts building on. And if you think about that, you sort of do have, you know, some basis there. There is this old holy-esque person, I suppose, who, who is known for his generosity and specifically how that generosity is, uh, benefits, um, children. And yet, um... There's so much more to the Santa Claus character that we kind of know about. That there's so much more that's been added, and there's so much um, about him that is not within uh, the Santa Claus character. You know, when it comes to you know punishing kids for being bad and and you know living in the North Pole and reindeer and and, and all that sort of thing. But um, this was a, a a person where the the you know the the kind of the figure started being built around, and and as time went by, more and more things were added, more mythology was combined to, it, and eventually it arrived at a point where we have Santa Claus now. Now, in this film, we have a Santa Claus character, uh, but uh, Pieteri, when reading about, you know, the forgotten history of this ancient beast, actually finds out that uh, it was kind of a, a demonic force, really, that, um, you know, he wouldn't just punish kids when they were bad. He wasn't just giving coal. He was actually snatching kids from their bed um, and having these, there, there were these horrific kind of drawings, you know, boiling them alive, eating them, whipping them with sticks, and it, it was these... It was a, a you know more of a um, the idea of Christmas or the celebration that they in their culture had kind of uh, known uh, come around to know and to celebrate was actually not so much a 
here's what happens if you're good, but here's what you have to do if you are bad to prevent other things from happening. You know, it, it was more about um, what would happen to unrepentant and unpunished children. You know, there's a part in the film um, when uh, Pieteri's dad is, is in his, you know, not his shack, but, you know, his, uh, his, his lair where he does his butcher work, trying to keep the, uh, what we find out is actually an elf and not Santa or, or a Santa's helper secret from Pieteri where Pieteri kind of like is imploring his dad to punish him, to whip him, to, uh, to, you know, enact the, 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 the punishment that he was ultimately going to receive anywhere, or at least that if he is punished, then he will avoid this fate of kind of being kidnapped and, and devoured by this, this beastly character. And so it started, it's a, it's a, a, a not a one-to-one correlation in the sense of what, you know, what St. Nicholas eventually became in, in this, popular I, I i guess uh you know kind of mostly american culture not a perfect one-to-one correlation between that and between what santa claus um eventually started from in rare exports and became you know because there is a, a guy who is uh dressed up in a, in a traditional santa suit who's going to be making his rounds and, and playing santa um but there is still at least this idea of it started out as one thing in history and eventually the story changed and time forgot and um, in this one, it seems to be kind of a, a willingly so because there is this idea of how they, um, an ancient culture trapped this Santa creature under the ice and, and wanted it and, and wanted to keep it there. And so when it was out, out of the way, eventually the story started changing almost in the way of, of, a, a safety measure to kind of protect people from what it actually was. Um, and it's also interesting to me is that this movie comes from Finland, which is not a, you know, not traditionally a religious, specifically a Christian religious country. Um, you know, in fact, in 1950, um, you know, the the, uh, the the demographic said that of people who had no religious affiliation, it was only around 2.8% of the population, whereas as of 2018, it had been up to 27.4%. So uh, there is a still a sizable population of a, of a kind of a Christian, specifically Orthodox kind of Christian that lives in Finland, but when it comes to these Nordic countries like Finland and like Norway and um, Sweden and that kind of stuff, they are not t- traditionally thought of as, um, you know, these uh, these Christian nations, you know. Um, and so it is interesting how this tale kind of comes from that from that country where um, traditionally and spiritually they're kind of moving away from uh, what we here in America think of as sort of this, you know, this mainstream traditional evangelical um, Christianity in a way. I mean, and then finally, the movie also does uh, speak to the idea of how capitalism has eventually uh, emerged from Christmas in order to capitalize on it. I mean, at the end of this, the men are literally selling Santa Clauses, um, and, and you you do believe that they were uh, making their livelihood from selling reindeer, which of course is a another Christmas tradition around here. And you know, of course, up in up in a uh, Finland, it, it is sort of a way of life. I mean, reindeer is a is a um, an animal that can be consumed. You can get a reindeer burger if you go there. If you go to Iceland, you know that's just part of way of life. It's almost it, it's there's once again, it's not a perfect correlation, but it, it is somewhat similar to cattle here. Is reindeer up there? So th- this is a you know what we think of as t- kind of a festive Christmas uh, symbol or, or icon. It is just a a way of life there. And when that way of life is gone, they have to make money elsewhere and they make that money by literally selling santa clauses by selling christmas to the 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 world um there is a sly kind of commentary on uh this capitalistic endeavor um that christmas has become the war on christmas that fox news would tell you we are losing 
Uh, but when it comes to the reindeer, that's a good segue into the other um, side of this film that uh, that Helander is balancing, which is the sincerity of it. And um, at, at the heart of the story really is, uh, or at the heart of the narrative, I should say, it really is a story of a single dad trying to provide for his young son. Um, we don't really get a whole lot of detail, but we do get the impression that um, their mom is, oh, well, at least I got the impression that their mom is dead. I suppose there's no real um tangible evidence to support that she had that she is that versus she maybe left them but i do just get the sense that um you know the mom has passed away and they, and they miss her very much and it's been hard for the dad since she is gone and um i i get the sense that this house that they are in um it, it does feel very lived in but also um for some reason i got the sense that the mom has been dead for a little bit like this isn't something where she left kind of 6 months ago but maybe she left or maybe she has has passed away a couple of years ago and um the dad still is not grappling um with or, or or still really kind of hasn't successfully um been able to kind of balance his life and and been able to provide for his child and it has not kind of settled his own um emotional state yet and it's interesting to notice that the two actors that play uh Pierre Terry and Rauno the son and the father are um I believe father and son themselves. Uh Ani Tamila and Yorma Tamila are are who they're credited or not who they're credited as, but who are the actors that play their part. So there is even a a, sen- a sentimentality or a, a, an inherent connection kind of already built in there that I think really does kind of come through in this movie. Um and so when when this father is trying to provide for his son that is also trying to provide a livelihood because once again with the reindeer dying I got the impression that that was their livelihood for the entire year. Um, when they, you know, they're they're talking about, well, how much would it have cost that with all these reindeer dead? And they say eighty five thousand um, dollars. And now that's just the the subtitle I was reading. I don't know if it's eighty five thousand. Um, I don't know what the currency is in Finland. I'm I'm sorry to stereotype and I'm going to say krona, I guess, because I think that's what the the currency is in Iceland. I apologize. I don't mean to be stereotypical or or presumptive or that kind of thing, but. You do get the sense that that's a large sum of money. That that was going to be the money for all of them, all these people throughout the year. This was their livelihood for the year. That um, they spent a lot of their, um, you know, effort um, collecting or, or raising or you know, kind of um, uh, fostering. I, I guess, if you will, for lack of a better word, I'm sorry. It's early and I'm kind of sick. Um, these reindeer to to kind of get this big payday that they would then use throughout the year um, in preparation for the following christmas in which their 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 stores would be uh or restocked if you will um and so by the, you know finding this this field of of dead slaughtered reindeer it sort of is like this represents not just a, a tragedy in the sense of at that time but for the rest of their year basically um and so this quest is this movie ultimately kind of culminates in them just kind of finding a new capitalistic endeavor a new livelihood for them um, and uh, on the service level too, it's also a, it's a very archetypical horror film in the sense of you have, you know, a small band of, of people, a small band of survivors kind of fighting off evil monsters. You know, this almost could have, um, taken place inside, you know, the, the quintessential kind of log cabin or shack in which, uh, the small band of survivors are trying to battle against these, um, horrific elf like creatures who are trying to break in in order to get the one, uh, you know, the one son left, you know, trying to get Pia Terry, trying to get him. It, it almost kind of feels like a zombie film in a way, in the sense of there's sort of these mindless drones that are just kind of coming after um, this uh, this one human being. You know, they are driven by a very visceral um, motivation to kind of 
capture this child for the purposes of of devouring him ultimately. And it also, um, you know, I kind of realized this after the movie was done, that um, it shares the spirit of many Christmas films, despite the fact that it's a horror film, despite the fact that it's rated R, despite the fact that it features um, numerous shots and scenes of um, naked old men kind of running through the snow. Um, it shares the spirit of many Christmas stories in the sense that, at its core, it still is a movie about a child believing in something that has to make believers of the adults. You know, from the very beginning, Pia Terry believes in this creature, in this Santa Claus creature. It turns out to be a horrific, beastly Santa Claus, uh, Santa Claus creature that wants to devour him, but he believes in it. Um, he believes that this thing exists and that it is coming for him, and he has to make everyone around him believe in that as well. His best friend doesn't believe him. His dad doesn't believe him. Um, you know, it's not until they they finally, like, capture um, this elf creature and they, and they see that there are these creatures and then ultimately that they see that there's this giant warehouse in which this huge frozen beast is being stored that they finally kind of like there is no scene where the child says i told you so but you do kind of get that subtext basically and no one is happy about it you know no one wants to be no one wants to believe that there is a giant beast a, a giant subterranean frozen beast who is coming to devour children um but the kid was clued into that the entire time you know he was the one doing the research he was the one that was skeptical of what the uh the the corporation was doing at the top of that mountain which turns out to be a burial mound and he's trying to get people to believe him and they don't until they see it with their own eyes um and so in a way he becomes he is the expert he's the one on 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 who knows how to um what to do about this he ultimately devises the plan to kind of capture all the the uh santa's helpers at the end he is he is very much the mastermind and the, the heart and soul of this movie and then, of course, at the end, everyone lives happily ever after. Um, not only do they have a, a new livelihood, a new capitalistic endeavor, but they are um, going to be significantly wealthier than if there was anything that happened with their reindeer crop. You know, they they calculated that eighty five thousand dollars would be the what they would haul in from their their reindeer crop, for lack of a better term, that year. And yet, by selling um, one hundred and ninety eight Santa's helpers for the price of eighty five thousand dollars each. They are all going to be racking up, I believe the math is about $16,800,000 or something. It's going to be a very good life and a very good year for these people afterwards. Oh, and, and then that, that final note reminds me of one other piece of, of the satire puzzle that I, I forgot to mention is that it also, the film also speaks to this idea of corporations ruining everything um, because it's, uh, you know, it's not just that it's because the, it's the time of the year, tis the season that Santa Claus emerges from his icy prison it's because there is a corporation drilling at the top of this burial mound that unearths these ungodly creatures. It's a corporation that wants this creature unearthed for some reason. It's a corporation that wants, you know, what they call the cargo to be released to the world. And so at the end of the day, it is to the corporation that these people sell um, the Santa Clauses that they have um uh, trained and fostered, if you will. So it really is, like I said, a, a really kind of a, a wonderfully delightful, um, meticulously balanced film that doesn't lean too far um, into satire to the extent where it becomes a parody. It does not become parody. And it also doesn't hit us with too much sentimentality where it becomes just kind of a another standard Christmas film. It actually is um, a, a horse of a different color, and it's quite a, it's quite a, a delightful little film. Um, if you have not seen it before or you want to see it again, it's easy enough to get your hands on. Uh, there's all sorts of availability for this. Um, uh, for free, it's it's on Prime, Hulu, uh, Hoopla, 
Voodoo, if you want to watch it, if you're free or, or fine with watching with ads. Canopy and Crackle uh, with ads as well. Um, but if you don't have subscriptions to any of those memberships, it is also available to rent or stream on Amazon, on Vudu, YouTube, Google, iTunes, Fandango Now, and the Microsoft Store. So that does it for uh, this week and for Rare Exports. It is always easy enough to get in touch with me. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, you can email me at youdomoviesbadly at gmail.com. Tweet at me on Twitter at NolanFixesTeeth. Um, be sure to uh, comment on this or catch up on back episodes of, of I Do Movies Badly at BattleshipPretension.com. Go to the podcast drop-down menu and find I Do Movies Badly or find me at IDoMoviesBadly.Podbean.com. I have made plenty of plugs for my other podcast, The Cast of Cthulhu, on this podcast, but I want to do one more because um, similar or, or, or in the vein of the season, at least in, if, if you associate the season with being cold and dark and snowy, um, the most recent episode features James McCormick and I kind of geeking out over John Carpenter's uh, 1982 classic, The Thing, uh, and sort of a discussion on how um, it is a spiritual adaptation of the work of H.P. Lovecraft and how a lot of what goes on in that film kind of fulfills the archetypical Lovecraftian story, specifically as part of tri- uh, Carpenter's um, Apocalypse trilogy. And, and so that's real. that was really a fun episode to do, and we hope that you enjoy it as well. So uh, be sure to tune in next week where I will be wrapping up foreign language Christmas films with a movie that I have, um, truth be told, forgotten the name of, but uh, I will update you on the Facebook page. So uh, tune in next week for that week, uh, for that film, for wrapping up um, Christmas week, uh, foreign language Christmas films, and for celebrating the Christmas season. And hopefully I will be just a little bit less ignorant. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.